I'm going to miss that music. How about you? Um, I am so happy to welcome you as we gather as the Christ Journey family once again today. And not only in our campuses here in South Florida, Gables Campus, Kendall Campus, shout out to Kendall, um, but also to those joining us from across the nation and around the world, and especially today, our thoughts and prayers for our friends and our family members from Venezuela. You know, we have over 50 nations of origin represented in our congregation right here in Miami. And so when something happens in the Southern Hemisphere, we're connected to it. And we want you to know that you are in our thoughts and prayers today in the name of the God who so loves this world. And so we're praying God's blessing of love for you. Even as we conclude our um, final message in the series, Redefining Romance. Redefining romance. Okay, today's message is uh, when you're finally in it, how do you keep it? You know, how do you make it last once, once you've found it and started to engage with each other and then uh, work through some of the challenging places? How do you keep the romance alive? And I was reminded about this schoolboy who was doing a research paper on Ben Franklin. And after he got all his, his study preparation done, he squirms up into a chair and he pulls the pencil out of his mouth that he'd been chewing on and puts it to the paper to produce this masterpiece. He says, Ben Franklin was born in Boston, but he soon got tired of that, so he moved to Philadelphia. When he got to Philadelphia, he was hungry, so he bought a loaf of bread. He put the loaf under his arm and walked up the street, and as he walked up the street, he passed a woman. The woman smiled at him. He married the woman and discovered electricity. Yeah, you know, you're familiar with that kind of electricity, right? The truth is that marriage is both a uh, wonderful and shocking experience, full of wonderful and shocking discoveries. Um, On my wedding day, one of my groomsmen told me marriage is like a phone call in the night. First you get the ring, then you wake up. And we understand that one, too. One of the shocks that came to me, uh, one of the wonderful shocks that came my way uh, in my marriage is that uh, I, I, uh, I always thought that it was just going to happen, you know? Like it would drop in and God would give me this amazing woman who would be so in love with me so that uh, pretty much she would think the same way I do about pretty much everything, especially about life and serving God and And um, what I discovered, uh, and then, you know, um, that if we did happen to disagree about anything, which would probably be seldom, that uh, she would, uh, we'd pray together about it, and then she would defer to Mike DeGaulle of God on my life, and, and then we'd move forward from there, you know? Does that sound pretty good to me? Does that sound about right to you? Listen, what a shock uh, to find that my marriage has not worked like that doesn't work like that. What I've discovered is that I am the firstborn of three, and my wife is the firstborn of three, and that both of us are pretty strong leaders when it comes to life. That God's call is on my life, yes, and I want to obey it, but you know what? God's call is on her life, too. And, um, and she's got a relationship with Christ, but it's not identical to mine that uh, she has her own relationship. And another shock that I discovered, I mean, she's not on the, the coattails of my relationship. Another shock that I, I, I think of, um, 
I'm getting some amens. Is that what's coming from the corner over here? Um, let's take them that way, okay? So if you want to say one when you hear one, then that would be great. Um, is that we have different expectations when it comes to marriage. Amen. We're going to follow, okay? It turns out, you know, it, sometimes it feels like we are, what's actually happening is we're like at bumper cars at the fair. The expectations are so different. Um, that she, uh, in fact, it's come down to this. Every cell in her body is different from every cell. Amen. Every cell in my body. What a shock. What a shock. Different backgrounds, different genders, different gifts, different personalities, different approaches, different needs. And uh, I've been shocked, mainly at how naive I can be, to assume that I'm the measure of marriage, to make myself the measure of marriage, to be so short-sighted that I would make myself the measure of marriage. Shocking, and yet so human, huh? And so many things that I've learned, just give you a quick list up front about my experience in this, uh, I have learned that though I can't love Lisa too much, I can love her naively. That means ignorantly, you know? Um, we feel things differently. I've learned this, that what feels like a pebble coming out of my mouth can feel like a boulder landing in her world. Just uh, different. Our first year of marriage, I was like Godzilla and, and in the, the city of Tokyo of her feelings. And though I was well-intentioned, I had some misinformed feet that just went crushing into her emotional reality that I wasn't aware of until some years later I heard her over the phone, on the phone saying, oh, yeah, my feelings were hurt the entire first year of our marriage. News to me, you know. Uh, shocking, right? I, I have learned that uh, it wasn't that I didn't love her, but I just, I loved her madly, but I just did not love her wisely. I have learned that marriage is a bonding more than a blending. Now, blending happens in our marriage, but our marriage isn't, really hasn't been about one person being absorbed into the other person. It really hasn't even been about two people being meshed into a third one, whatever that is. You know what our marriage has been about? It's been, uh, it's been about being and becoming more of who each of us uniquely are by belonging to one another. I'm not sure that's what Jesus meant when he said one flesh, but I, I think I might be close. How does that feel? Well, it felt shocking. still does. feels awkward. It feels embarrassing at times to my pride. You know, it feels scary. It feels unnerving sometimes, you know. Sometimes it just feels offensive to me, and yet then it feels wonderful and good. I mean, what a mashup of messy, shocking experiences in my marriage. I don't know if you're relating to that. But I, I've also learned that um, no man or woman, no matter how gifted, articulate, strong, or smart, or attractive, has what it takes to meet the deep needs of the human heart. Only God can do that. I've learned that. So what that says to me is, if it's going to work, then it's going to take more than me working it. 
You know, I've, I've, been, I've moved from, I think it's going to be great and God's going to make it all just happen. And then it was like, well, if it's going to work, I can work this thing. And now I'm to the point where, you know, if this is going to work, it's going to take more than me working it. I'm going to need help. Which then takes me right back to my soulmate. You know, God's our greatest soulmate and his love is required in my marriage, the kind of love that is big enough to be patient and kind and forgiving and big enough to not be rude and not be self-seeking and not be easily angered and keep no record of wrongs. This is like God's kind of love, 1 Corinthians 13, and, and I've discovered that my love isn't big enough for what the marriage God gave me required. Have you discovered that? Shocking. It's shocking, but there's... There's, you know, one of the big lessons I've learned in my marriage is that though, um, no, it's not a though anything. It's I can't command or control it to my intended ends. What I've learned is that marriage is not an end in itself for what I want, but it is a means to a greater end for what God wants if I want in on it if I'll let him take me there and let his love take me there. So what I've learned is that great marriages don't just happen, but they do happen. And that this is what God desires. Between two gifted and glorious people, and don't we know we are, but also flawed and needy people, and yes, we know we are, uh, but intended for what Jesus calls even greater things. Now, you do not have to be married in order to get in on God's even greater things. But you know what? If you are married, then that's one of the places where God wants his even greater to show up. Am I right? Yeah, and we don't want to miss that. So, this message is about taking us into the kind of Freeing truth, truth that sets us free to experience that in this challenging relationship known as marriage. Mark chapter 10, Jesus is being tested by religious rule keepers who want to know his opinion on divorce. And we're going we're gonna to get to divorce in a later message in the next month's series. Uh, but in responding, he gives a definition of marriage. And that's what we want to unpack today. I heard some, by the way, you know, the, the question came up in the question of divorce. The explanation of marriage comes up in the question of divorce. I, I overheard somebody recently tell me, you know, we never thought, uh, the secret to our uh, staying married is we never thought about divorce at the same time. And I was sharing that with somebody else, and they said, oh, well, you know, the key that we were taught is we never talk about divorce at any time. And we don't even joke about it. Well, one day there was this group of religious rule keepers who came up to Jesus and they were thinking about divorce and they were talking about divorce and they wanted to know what Jesus had to say about divorce. And instead, he, uh, he turns it to marriage. This is what they asked him. If a, is it lawful, is it legal for a man to divorce his wife? And they're actually trying to trap him in, on the horns of a thorny moral dilemma, which regardless of which way he answers, he's going to be losing influence or losing followers. It's a trap. And this is what they say. So Moses told us that it was okay. What do you say? 
And Jesus, we don't know if he pauses and breathes or says a prayer or rolls his eyes. <laughs> I don't know. We don't know what he does. But he does say this. It was because your hearts were hard that Moses wrote that law. Your hard hearts. That word hard means obstinate. It means they lack moisture. There's no spiritual life-giving water flowing in your heart. That was Jesus' take on that law. But verse 6, at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, verse 7, and for this reason, for this cause, for this purpose, God said a man would leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and these two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one. And therefore, what God joined together, let not man separate. So Jesus, in answering, takes us all the way back before the law, before the rules of God, to an original dream that was born in the imagination of our creator. Laws have their purpose, especially when it comes to dealing with hard hearts. But Jesus is saying, when it comes to marriage, if you really want to know what's on God's mind, on God's heart, his beating for you, then we've got to go way back to the beginning before sin was unleashed to rob human hearts of their moisture. So what does God want? That's the question, right? And that's what I'd like to unpack for us as I understand it here. Let's just take a quick look. First, God wants to guide your marriage. God wants to officiate you're joining together. Marriage is not a ceremony there. It's a joining together of two lives, Jesus says. So what God has joined together, let not man separate. You know what the flip of that is? Let man celebrate. Instead of trying to bail out, it's like, no, dig in and get the good stuff that's already there for you. Let, let your frolic in it and, and feel the delight of it and come alive in it. Let God, the source of your life and love, be your source in your marriage. Let God be your matchmaker. Let God be your marriage maker. In other words, Jesus is saying, stay connected to the God who's alive and can keep your heart from getting hard. Does that make sense to you? That's what he says. Stay connected to God as your creative life source for love and joy and wisdom and humor and, you know, forgiveness. What God has joined together is joining together the God who made us, the God who gives us life, the God who gives us identity as persons, the God who made us male and female, gives us our sexual capacities, the God who gives us fathers and mothers to take care of us and protect us and provide for us as we're growing up, and then you leave the nest, and then God joins you in this marriage. Jesus is saying he is giving you marriage as a gift toward oneness. This is God's original dream. No longer two, but one. These two will become one flesh. I believe Jesus is giving us these words because he's saying he's intending to guide us into knowing God as our resource. God is the joiner who meets us at the place of hardened hearts. God 
doesn't do that by just giving laws. God does it by coming alive in his love, in his people, and then guiding us to a greater understanding of who you are and who your spouse is and what marriage is, what marriage can be. That's what God wants. Now, here's a question. Do you want that? Is that what you want? Because that's what God wants. Okay, second, God wants to grow you. Grow me how? Grow you to know yourself and your spouse as you celebrate your differences. Look at all the differences. Different parents, different genders, male, female, different storylines in life. Differences are not intended to divide, but to give us an opportunity to unite uniquely. Now, what he said? Yeah. To grow, to know yourself and your partner, and then grow richer in the knowing. That's Jesus is saying God wants to grow you. So as a couple leaves the nest that they were nurtured in, they are to be and become. Those are the verbs active here. Be and become. To be and become. That is the journey. That's what marriage is about, to be and become. He says, be and become, male and female, be united, and then become one flesh. So that means you got to be open to the connection. That's how it works. Hard hearts are closed, but he's saying, no, God's life and love will open your heart up, and then you're open to the connection. So what's actually happening is that sexuality is a living parable, a dynamic story about how we step into a life that is larger than ourselves. The physical act of marriage is a teacher. This is what I'm seeing Jesus say to a deeper truth of emotional growth and spiritual intimacy. The vulnerability of not hiding, but being open, being there in your all together with your differences on obvious display. And in order to join together as one, you must lay aside your defenses and be open to the connection and as in the physical, so also in the emotional and the spiritual. That as we open our lives to each other, we grow to find ourselves in the differences. And that's where emotional intimacy comes from. Into me, see. Emotional intimacy develops as we look and as we listen and as we learn in the commitment of love. There's the value of marriage, the commitment of love. You're not bailing on me. You're not leaving me, you're, I'm in, you're in, we're, we're in. And then we start learning, and we start growing. Now, speaking of learning, um, I think it was about six or seven years into our marriage that uh, a friend in my church, I was pastoring a church in Texas, he told me about spraying a practical joke on his wife. I think I may have told this story before, but it sure fits today. And I got this, I was inspired. I thought, I'm going to prank Lisa. So, um, Backing up in our marriage, you know, finances have always been a sensitive nerve in our home. And so the first year we were married, right after I was ordained, I didn't realize that Uncle Sam, the IRS, considered ordained pastors to be self-employed. And the church does not withhold taxes from self-employed ordained pastors. And so our taxes came due, and I discovered, oops, we don't have the money we need to pay in order, you know, and so it was like, oh, financial challenge, and thank God for my father-in-law who came to the rescue for a, for a newly married young pastor, and, um, and so the reason I'm telling you that story is so I can tell you this story. So the way I thought I would prank Lisa is that I would do it around 
finances. Uh, and then turn it up a notch, you know, uh, at a little, I had to even, the, the first idea was just pranker. There's the lights on. Then to pranker around finances, there's a brighter light, right? And then let's turn the, the light all the way up. Full brightness, I would do it around IRS finances. So um, it was April, just turned April. And uh, she walks into the room where I'm on the phone talking to a dial tone. And I say, well, I have no idea how that could have happened. I just don't understand it. I, I guess we'll come up with it, but I don't know how. Okay, bye, click. She says, who was that? I said, it was the IRS. What did they want? We owe them money. Um, what I said, I don't know. I don't know how it happened. We owe them tax money. I don't know how it happened. She was so caring. She was so supportive. She was so present. She said, well, you know what? We're going to figure this out. We're going to make it work. And she's looking up at me with those beautiful eyes of compassion reaching out to me. And you know what I said, don't you? April Fool's. She didn't laugh. Um, I have never seen my wife so infuriated. I mean, she cranked the volume all the way up to 11. There was, there, her voice was full of pain and hurt and anger. She, she didn't think it was funny at all. She was venting pain from being, feeling betrayed and embarrassed and humiliated by the one person who was supposed to love her and care for her and work with her. And now she is, I mean, she's, in, she's storming through the house and she is venting this rage. And I'm, I'm, I'm following her room to room saying, honey, you know, can we be quiet because I'm looking to see the windows are open and the neighbors are going to hear, you know. And, um, and, and, of course, I apologized. Of course, I did. But you know what? I didn't realize till years later what I had done to my marriage, what I had done to my wife, what I had uh, done to myself in that foolish act. Um, I had cheated myself of a sensitive, caring, and tender, responsive, supportive spouse. I mean, instead, I had taught her instead that she can't trust me when it comes to her most compassionate, tender emotions. And instead, I showed her this. I, this is what I showed her. He doesn't think he needs me. <laughs> he, he doesn't... Uh, he doesn't think he needs me. Instead, he makes fun of me. And he ridicules my emotions, and he thinks they're just jokes, things to be betrayed. Now, she didn't tell me that, but years later, this is what I'm entering into the emotional journey on this and saying, you know, I'm not saying that practical jokes are wicked. I'm just saying that I was insensitive. I was unintentionally cruel, injured our long-term trust, and essentially told her that, she can't feel safe around me when it comes to sharing emotions that I might be needing from her because I had showed zero sensitivity and turned them into a joke. So uh, don't try that at home. Better to leave that one with us professionals. You know what? I needed to grow. I needed to grow. God wanted me to grow. And Lisa was willing to let me grow. Thank God. 
Because remember, what I was learning is marriage is not an end in itself for what I want, but it is a means to an even greater end for what God wants. What does God want? Well, God wants to guide the joining. God wants to grow you in the connecting, and then God wants to uh, grace you beyond yourself as you cultivate your togetherness. How do you make it last? you got to cultivate your togetherness. Jesus said marriage involves becoming. Becoming. So you don't stay the same as when you started. You are becoming together. That's the way it's designed. It's designed to work by intentionally calling each spouse out of themselves and into this becoming place where they are now giving, you and, and we are, we're giving to one another. It's the grace of generosity. Do you ever think that Jesus is trying to teach you how to be generous by the person he's put you with? Yeah, giving time, giving energy, giving attention, giving affirmation, admiring, adoring each other. Marriage, great marriages require generosity to be shared in the partners so that the other feels how you value them by how you treat them and what you say about them and how you go out of your way for them and also in how we have fun. Being together is just fun. Now, you know, since those early days, I've had some goals for my marriage. I'm growing. You know what one of my goals is right now in my marriage? Had it for several years. Top of the list, actually. My goal is that each time Lisa thinks about me, she will have a fond thought. <laughs> I mean, the first thought, the first thought I want Lisa to have about me is a fond one. Yeah, how does that work? <laughs> right? There's a stretch goal, guys, right there. Uh, what can I do to help her feel fondly toward me? And um, I did, by the way, I didn't tell her of this goal when I started pursuing it in my life, in my marriage, but I did set out to make it happen. Now, have I succeeded? You're wondering, right? Okay, that's up to her, isn't it? So you'll just have to ask her next time you see her. Just say, you know, Bill said that he's trying to love you in such a way so that your first thought about him whenever you think about him is a fond one. How's he doing? Go Ask her, see what she says. And then if you want to report back to me, that'd be great. Uh, see if we're moving the needle, you know. <laughs> uh, what does that take? Here's what's happening on my end of the equation. Because what I'm learning is if I'm communicating for an emotional connection, then I've got to pay attention. It's more than just exchanging information. I've got to listen larger. And what has happened to me is transformation. Now, I'm a work in progress, you know. I'm not there yet, but... But transformation, transformation is what God is teaching me marriage is for because I'm giving beyond myself to cultivate togetherness. Because, see, remember, this is really the lesson. Marriage is not an end in itself for what I want. Marriage is a means to an even greater end for what God wants. What does God want? God wants to guide the joining. God wants to grow your connecting. God wants to grace your giving. And then God wants to glue you deeply and uniquely to your spouse. 
This is the one flesh marriage. The word translated here, be united, really in the original language is glue. It's like super glue, right? You know, if you've ever got that stuff on you, it's really hard to, to unstick, isn't it? And that's the concept, the word that he's using here. And yet, this is Jesus making more than simply a defense for monogamy and fidelity, marital fidelity. You know what he's doing? He's, he's exploring the purpose of human sexuality. He's giving us God's purpose for sex, a super glue experience that bonds you deeply and uniquely, one of a kind, not mixed, but one of a kind, uniquely to your spouse. Did you know? In my research, I came across a study. Did you know the studies of the brain show that the highest levels of oxytocin, that's that hormone called the love hormone or the bonding hormone in the human brain, that the highest levels of oxytocin in the male brain spike, they show up, the highest levels, right after sex with his wife. Right after sex with his spouse. Not right after sex, period. No, 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 no. Right after sex, with his spouse. So listen, that spike, the research says, doesn't occur when it, it involves an act of self-stimulation or an image or a prostitute or a uh, stranger. No, no, no. It spikes at its highest levels when a man has just had sex with his wife. What does that say? What does that mean? Well, I'm thinking, because I'm thinking right back here, that we are designed for bonding deeply when we feel secure in being loved and known. That's what marriage commitment invites us into. One flesh isn't simply an appeal to marital fidelity. It's a challenge to discover laser love, laser beam love. You know, light diffuse can't even melt butter. But light, laser-focused, laser-beam-focused can slice through steel, right? And here's what God is, is saying, I think, is that God wants your marriage to know laser-beam love so that it can slice through whatever stuff comes your way and doesn't it come our way. Yeah, richer or poorer, sickness and health, as long as we both shall live, you know, a love that goes the distance is what Jesus is talking about. Laser-focused love that stands the test of time. And slices through the things that threaten to pull us apart. Imagine your marriage standing in laser beam love focus and strength. Would you like some of that? I would. Do you need some of that? I do. Well, then you got to remember this. Marriage is not an end in itself for what I want, for what you want. Marriage is a gracious gift from God that is a means to an even greater end of life's transformation into what God wants. What does God want? Well, he wants to guide you. Are you open? Are you open? Then, uh, then seek his guidance. How do I do that? Well, you pray, you study his word, you group with other believers, you sharpen yourself in other relational connections, you attend worship, you, you live a life that is, horiz is vertical and not purely horizontal. You seek God. That's what God wants. And then God wants to, uh, to grow you, to pursue emotional and spiritual growth. So the question here is, do the work to bring a healthier you to your marriage. If you want your marriage to be healthier, 
then do the work emotionally that lets you grow to be healthy. And then to grace you. This is what God wants. God wants to grace you so that generously you can show up to cultivate togetherness in your differences. So receive the gift by faith and don't be annoyed by the differences. Learn to enjoy the differences as opportunities to connect beyond yourself. Because remember, marriage isn't simply something that you command and control to your own intended ends. No, it's a means to a greater ends that's pulling you out of yourself so that you can experience transformation and get beyond yourself. And then God wants to glue you deeply and uniquely to your spouse. So what? So get that oxytocin flowing. Know what I mean? And if those ideas all sound too hard for you, then I would suggest this. Find one goal that you can ask God to join you in for your marriage. Because you aim at nothing, you hit it every time. Now, Jesus, in the context, said this. You know, we're going to go back to the beginning. And here's what we know. We don't live in the Garden of Eden, do we? No, we got the world of hard hearts. That's what we live in. And, um, and maybe you're thinking, I'm not feeling so super glue today. And in fact, I feel kind of stuck. What about me, Bill? Well, I would say God, who is rich in mercy and full of kindness, can be welcomed to pour his tenderness into your broken place into your broken heart. He is close to the brokenhearted. And when we come to him to connect to his resources, his love of patience, kindness, forgiveness, grace, can find the place that needs healing and then take us forward together. Maybe that's the next step for you. But you don't have to stay where you are. You can talk to a pastor. We always have people that are praying right after we dismiss at the cross. You can do that with us. In fact, let's just pray together right now. Thank you, God, for the amazing dream, the incredible dream that you gave birth to in your divine imagination that you wanted to share with us as your creation. And we want it to, but don't we know we live in a world of hard hearts, and sometimes relationships are just hard and confusing and embarrassing and troubling. So I just want to thank you today that your love is larger than our entire world, but larger than our hearts. And we invite you to pour your mercy out upon us now that moisture might be returned to our inner spirit and life. And then out of that flow could grow a stronger and refreshed connection with those that we love. And perhaps, friend, you're with us today, you're joining us online today, this is, this is the day you just know you'd like to have a relationship with God in Christ that could allow your heart to feel that love. Then I'm gonna offer a prayer and invite you to join me in it. Lord Jesus, come into my life. 
I believe you are the representation of God's love for me, and you desire to create life in me. So I invite you to come into my life. I receive your forgiveness for my sins. I'm turning from my way to seek to live your way and invite you now to fill me with your spirit as I trust you for salvation. Now, our heads are still bowed, but if you prayed that prayer with me, then I'm gonna invite you simply to raise your hand wherever you're seated right now. If you're joining us online, there's an orange banner on the screen where you can click. And allow me to ask God's blessing upon your next steps of faith. If you would like for me, if you would welcome me to pray with you in that way, I wanna join you there. Amen. Thank you, right here in the middle. To my left, God bless you. To the back, thank you. And then toward the middle, thank you. Once again in the center toward the back, God bless you. Lord Jesus, thank you that our, uh, our hearts are safe in your hands. And I pray for each one who is opening their life to you in a fresh way today, that they might sense your presence and know your peace as we make our prayer in your name. Amen.